Hi, I'm Bruce Bartow, the chaplain here at Kim Ray, and we are doing a series that I have called Foundations, and today we're going to look at another uh, lesson in that series, so let's jump in. quick overview of what we've been doing so far. You've got as a plan, he's making us in his image and getting to know him and his character, lets us know what he's doing for us, what he's doing to us, and how he's completing what he started, how he dealt with the sin problem by sending Christ, um, and sin being basically trying to be independent from God, and we were created to be dependent beings, not independent of him. Uh, we found out what happens when man is left to himself before the flood and how that uh, led to only evil continually. So later he introduced the law to show us that even our best efforts were not the minimum standard of what it looks like to live life the way God intended. And by works of the law we found out that no flesh is justified anyway, so it wasn't given to save us, it was given to show us we needed a Savior. And that salvation comes to us by faith, by grace you're saved through faith, learning to trust God. So not only to be saved, but also to live. That's why it says, as therefore you receive Christ by faith, so walk with him by faith. And then we talked about the scriptures and how they're important to help us get to know God. Uh, they're a written um, record of who he is and how he's interacted with mankind. Uh, but even that, we're looking through foggy lenses and, and uh, distorted understanding of who God is. So Jesus came and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that must have been a shocking statement because the people in his day saw God probably as being pretty scary and hard to please. But there's just Jesus, he was friendly. He was kind. Now, he was honest, and he didn't always say things that people wanted to hear, but he was always good and kind about it and just and righteous in the way he dealt with people. And so we, we talked about keeping the main thing the main thing a couple weeks ago, which was stay focused on God rather than the problems in the world around us because where we focus our attention and what we really devote our life to will determine a great deal of trajectory of how we live our lives and uh, what, it, uh, what it displays to the world around us. And then last week we talked about covenants and how God has made covenants with mankind. And almost all of them are unilateral. It's just God made us a promise. Uh, there was one bilateral covenant we talked about, which is the, we call the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Um, it contained the 613 laws given through Moses and basically it was these are the things I'll do for you as long as you do these certain things for me and that didn't work out so good you know the scripture tells us by works of the law shall no flesh be justified but woven into the law were all these types and shadows and um, allegories parables if you will that help us visualize something he wanted us to know that blood had to be shed to take away sins. Well, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and all that kind of stuff, those kind of animals, could never take away sin. So he needed the blood of a spotless lamb, which turned out to be Jesus Christ, to take away the sins of the world. And so that was pictured in the law. 
There's a lot of things pictured throughout the Old Testament for us to understand about what it means to live life trusting God in such a way that his life is lived through me. Okay, so that brings us to the conclusion of a discussion on covenants. We didn't really finish last time, but there's two ideas I want to talk about. He made a covenant, you know, with Abraham and with David and even with Eve and so forth. Well, one of the other unilateral covenants God made is with mankind in general. In Revelation chapter 5, starting with verse 7, it says, He came, talking about Jesus, and he took the book out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. So this is a picture that John is seeing in heaven. Uh, and Jesus comes, and he takes the uh, book out of the hand of God that he has asked if someone could open it. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, uh, each one holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests uh, to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. All right, so this lamb, Jesus Christ, he was slain and he purchased us, saved us for a possession for God from every tribe and tongue and every people and nation. It's available to everybody. Well, that was a covenant. That was a promise. Remember, we talked about the cutting of the covenant and how the blood was shed to seal the deal. And basically, that was a statement, my life is on the line. And that's a wonderful truth that we will talk about in great detail sometime in the future. So Jesus cut this covenant for mankind. But we have to receive that covenant. We have to accept that he did that on our behalf. Now, it's not a work on our part. It's just believing that what he did actually works because of who he is. It's believing in him. Like it says, but as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to them that believed on his name in John 1.12. Okay, another uh, covenant is the eternal nature of God's covenant with mankind. It's also unilateral, uh, based on his character. And this is something that's, that we need to always keep in mind, that when God does something or says something, it's always based on his character. That's why it's important that we get to know him. Uh, the biggest problem I think we face as human beings is seeing God as being different than who he really is. And a lot of those ideas about who we think God may be and what he's like come from other significant people we've had in our lives. Uh, family members, parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, uh, pastors, friends, politicians, whoever, and we get this idea about what someone with great power is like. But the deal is, nobody is like God. And so if we think of God as being like someone else, we're, think of, we're thinking of him different than who he really is. 
You know, one passage in Psalm 50 says, you thought I was just like you. And we do. We have a tendency to think God is like us. That he does things for the reason we would do them. He says things for the reasons we would say them. But he's very different than any human we've ever met. The only one who's actually displayed God to humanity through, humani through humanity is Jesus himself. Like I said, when he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, it must have been a real jaw-dropper to the people he was talking to. You know, Hebrews 6, uh, when he made this promise to Abraham, it says in Hebrews 6, 13 through 18, for when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you, surely I will multiply you. So God made a promise to himself. Uh, and so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise, for men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath is given as confirmation. It's the end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. He swore, he made, a, he made this oath, this death promise. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that is set before us, right? So he, he did something. He interposed with this oath to encourage us, to give us hope. And that hope is an absolute confidence in something that is sure. When the Bible talks about hope, it's not talking about wishful thinking, yeah, I hope it doesn't rain on Saturday because uh, it'll mess up my picnic. It's no, it's when you have hope, according to what the Bible says, I know this is going to happen, even though everything says it can't happen. But because, because God said it, it's going to happen. That's an absolute confidence and a hope that he gives us. All right, now, so today, now we've kind of finished talking about covenants in a pretty broad perspective, you know, the unilateral and bilateral but all of God's promises to man tend to be unilateral. The only ones that were bilateral was that wrapped up in the Mosaic Law where he said, these are the things I will do for you as long as you do these things for me. Now the deal is God always kind of held up his end, well, he always did hold up his end of the bargain. Even sometimes he would, out of grace, do things for them that was good, even though they hadn't done anything that they promised they would do for him. Uh, because that's just what kind of person he is. But he wasn't obligated to do those things. And he brought on them uh, the various consequences that he also promised that they would experience if they didn't fulfill their part of the bargain. All right, so what is the importance, kind of starting a new idea here, what is the importance of God's promises uh, in fulfilling his plan for man? Okay, if God has a plan for man, what part does his promises play in seeing that plan fulfilled? Well, it's actually pretty huge. Uh, it's, it's, it's all based on that. And we'll see that hopefully here in a minute. In 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises 
in order that by them we might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, that's a lot. We're going to take it apart here a little bit. All right, so it says that by these certain things are going to happen. Well, what are these? Well, the first part of that passage I just read talks about grace and peace. Those are huge realities that we live in as believers in Christ. Grace, you know, we've heard God's riches at Christ's expense. Um, grace is what you get from a person who is gracious. And that's very important. When God answered Moses' question, and the question was, show me your glory. Show me what you're like. And God answered that on the mountain one day, and he said, I'm the Lord God. I'm gracious and loving and forgiving and so forth. He is gracious. That's what kind of person he is. Well, what you get from gracious people is grace. You get things that you didn't deserve. You get value that you paid nothing in order to receive. It's just grace. It's yours. It's free. Uh, I do like that little acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. We get God's riches at the expense that Jesus paid on our behalf. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Oh, I have confidence that God's glory is being formed in me. And how do we get there? Well, we were justified by faith, not by works. We were made just in the sight of God. We were made righteous before him. And because of that, we stand in his grace. We get to be in his presence forever. Not because of something we did. You know, Titus 3.5 says, not because of deeds done by us in righteous, but in virtue of his own mercy, he saved us. So what is grace? Well, another way to look at it, it's a dynamic of God's character towards us. Because again, he is gracious, and so gracious people give grace. That's what they do. And <clears throat> that grace was made available to us through the work of Jesus Christ. He cleared all the debris away and opened a path. You know, one place says we, we enter into the veil, we can boldly approach the throne. We're actually going to look at that here in just a minute. And peace is the state that we enjoy as a result of Christ's work. It's the state of being. We can be at peace. You know, uh, the Bible says, Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I don't know about you, but the world around me doesn't actually give a lot of peace. Um, it's confusing at times. It's a little out of control at times. Now, granted, there's some days when I'm out enjoying nature and that kind of stuff and kind of disconnected from and not focused on the craziness going on around me at times that I feel peaceful. But the world system doesn't actually give a lot of peace. 
there's something you got to do every day to gain some approval or make some achievement or whatever, or man, your life's going to go down the drain in a big hurry, uh, financially or in other, you know, in a lot of different ways other than that as well. So it says this grace, this dynamic of God's character towards us that puts us in a peace treaty, a, a peaceful condition with God was the work of Christ is multiplied to us in the knowledge of God. So as we get to know God and what kind of person he is, realizing the, the extent and the magnitude of his grace to us and the peace that we have just explodes in our understanding. Now again, the world says, no, 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 you can't do that because we don't accept you unless you do something good every day. God doesn't either. Well, God accepts us because Jesus did something really good and he gave us the result of that that standing before God. That's why it says we stand in his grace. It was a gift. And it says that he has granted to us, in that passage we just looked at in first, or Second Peter, that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Two great things. Life. What is life? Well, it's not just breathing. You know, Adam and Eve sinned, and the day they ate of the fruit and sinned, they died. Well, they kept breathing. They lived 900 more years, and they had a lot of children. Okay, you know, Cain and Abel and Seth and so on. All right, so what does it mean to not have life or to have life? Well, God is life, and if you don't have God, you don't have life. Breathing isn't life according to what the Bible tells us. It's, the, it's, the, it's being connected to God that is life. All right, so he granted us everything pertaining to life. How do we live life? Well, Galatians 2.20 says, It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Christ comes in, he brings life with him. Okay, so now I have life because I have him. All right? And godliness. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. What is godliness? Well, we get this kind of idea, I think, as humans, that it must be some kind of a boring, pious, uh, outwardly religious-looking life that, you know, doesn't do bad things and always does good things. Well, there's some truth in the fact that as Christ lives through us, he's not going to do bad things, and we're all going to do good things. He prepared us for good works. But what is godliness? Well, the word godliness itself comes from the words God-likeness. Just kind of mushed together and made into one word, godliness. Well, that goes back to our design. Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness, God-likeness. Okay, so everything we need has been granted to us. Everything we need for life and godliness is granted to us, it says, through the true knowledge of him who called us. So the more, it goes back to the main thing being the main thing. The more we get to know him, we know more of what his life is, and what it looks like. And we can recognize the difference between the way I'm living and the way he's living. And the invitation that he's always giving us to trust him and follow his life by faith so that 
His words are coming out of my mouth. His actions are what my hands are doing rather than something that the world has dreamed up for me to do. Or my own reasoning, which isn't fully renewed yet. Uh, my ability to think completely the way God thinks and make choices on my own the way he would make choices is not there yet, okay? And the truth is I'm never really supposed to grow up and get over my need for following God. Um, maturity is the ability to, con to follow him more consistently, not just mimic him on my own. All right, so he's granted us everything that we need to live life the way God intended us to live through getting to know him. Because he called us by his glory and excellence. Okay, what does that mean? Well, he didn't call us to something subpar. He's not, through Christ, he's not diminishing our created purpose. He is completing our created purpose. He's lifting us up to the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ, it says. In Philippians 3.10, he said, Paul said, I, he gave up everything that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. He said, I gave up everything that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the ability to live life as God intended us to live apart from sin and those things that the world keeps trying to drag us into. So glory and excellence, that's part of these. He said, because of these certain things, right? Well, the way the Father does everything is based on who he is. That's what glory means. It's the revelation of who he is. And what do, what do we see? Well, he does everything in an excellent way. It's, it, it can't be exceeded. It's at the top. It's the apex. It's the best way to do it. Um, and he does everything that way. And he's going to do no less for us as his children. He's going to finish us to reflect his glory in an excellent way. Psalm 139, 14 says, I give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works. My soul knows it very well. When we realize more and more of how he's made us and what he's doing in us, we will realize how marvelous that is and be encouraged to step into that role and walk with him by faith. Now those are the these, you know, by these he granted us certain things, peace and grace and power and knowledge of him and all that stuff. And the cause of those things uh, is the magnificent promises. Okay, back in that chapter in 2 Peter it says, for by these he granted us his his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them we might become partakers of the divine nature. Now there it is. Through his promises, we get to partake of something, a divine nature, a nature like our dad. Uh, now he's really good at it because he's done it for eternity. <laughs> we just got started. So we're like a little baby is born, they have legs they can't walk, they have a voice they can't talk. They don't know what to do with their fingers other than stick them in their eye or whatever. You know, they do weird things, but they got all the equipment, don't know how to, know how to use any of it. Well, when a person is born again, they receive a divine nature. They have all the equipment, but they don't know how to use any of it. And so we're growing up, we're maturing, learning from our Father how to do with love and kindness and truth and honesty and all that stuff. 
what he does with those things. Okay, he's teaching us how to express the nature we got through new birth. Okay, now here's the deal. I, I thought about this. You know, why did God make us promises? Why did he make an oath? I swear I'll do this. You know, the Bible tells us that God is not man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? So if God says he's going to do something, he doesn't need to make a promise to seal it and prove it because he never lies. He never fails to do exactly what he says he's going to do. So I believe, based on that passage in Hebrews we read a moment ago, and we'll look at it again here, that he made promises to give us additional encouragement that he would be faithful. It kind of helped us, okay, I can really believe that. It's to help us trust him. Let's look again at that passage in Hebrews. In the same way, God, desiring to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath. Okay, he promised me that, but you and I have been let down by promises before. You know, this person promised me they'd do something, but then I messed up, so they didn't, they didn't feel like they were obligated to fulfill their promise. That would be like a bilateral agreement. But he wanted us to know that his promises to us are not based on something we're doing. They're based on his character. The unchangeableness of his... He says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. So that by two un, unchangeable things, okay, a promise and God's word can't be broken and God can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. So we can have this strong encouragement. And it says, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure, that is both sure and steadfast that enters within the veil. That means it's in there in the very throne room of God. We are anchored to the throne of God. Okay, And so he wants us to know that in my worst moments, I don't need to hide from him like I did my mom and dad. I didn't want them to know what I was doing. I can go to him. We can boldly approach the throne of grace and find help in time of need. Not because I've been good enough to deserve to go into his presence, but because Jesus brought me into his presence by his grace, and now we stand in that grace in the very presence of God. And when I'm struggling with sin or attitudes or fear or disillusionment or anything else I struggle with in life, I don't need to hide from God until I get it figured out how to do it right so he'll be happy with me. I need to go to him and let him show me his perspective about what's going on in my world and how to respond to that and how I can walk by faith in that situation. So what that means is, you know, we've been granted a divine nature. It says that we have received a divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world. Okay? Partakers of the divine nature. To me, that says, who's your daddy? Okay? If you are a child of God, you have a nature like your father's. Now, unfortunately... We don't always display our father's nature. Just like when we have children, sometimes they do things that we wouldn't do. We've learned better. But in his case, he is always better. And so he's lifting us up. You know, in Peter it says, 
as obedient children, 1 Peter uh, 1, as obedient children, do not be conformed to your former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, in a mindset where I thought I had to figure out how to be good enough for God to accept, that felt like a heavy load on me. Like he's saying, you got to figure out how to be as good as I am. But what he's actually saying, I believe, is the reason you're going to be holy is your Father is holy. His holiness, his divine nature has been put inside of you, and he is nurturing that to maturity. I'm going to leave you with this last thought. Target attraction. We have a tendency to hit what we're looking at. <laughs> if you ever saw the old show, Frazier and his brother uh, told him when they were in a bicycle race, he said, whatever you do, don't run into that big blue mailbox over there. So every time Frazier would look at a mailbox, he'd run into it. He'd ride down the street and he'd see another one and he'd run into that because he would focus on the big blue mailbox. We have a tendency to hit what we're looking at. That's why it's important to keep the main thing the main thing. Let's focus on Him, our Father in Heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ, and not the problem that we're facing. We come to Him with the problem, we focus on Him. That's why it says, He has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us. So everything we need to, to live life better and differently comes through getting to know Him. So keep the main thing the main thing. Keep focusing on Him because we're being conformed to His image. If we focus on the world, we wind up being conformed to the world's image. Again, we'll talk a lot about this idea of the flesh and um, laying that aside and walking by the Spirit in the future. God bless you. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you that you have provided and granted everything pertaining to life and godliness through this intimate knowledge of you that you give us through our relationship with Christ. Like Paul said, we've given up all things that we might know you in the power of your resurrection. All those things that we thought would make us popular or important or secure, we have traded that in for one thing, and that's knowing you. So Father, help us to keep focused on that and know that the great encouragement we have is the confidence we can have in the unchangeableness of your purpose, that we can be confident, we can have hope, absolute confidence, because you've made some promises to us. Not based on something we would do, but just based on the very unchangeableness of your character, and we thank you for that. Give us that strength, not only just in understanding this theologically, but living it and walking in it every day, regardless of what's going on in the world around us. Thank you for your grace and the peace that you've given us through Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.